0: In three, two, one.
4: When we take control of our lives and our destiny. We're
0: a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like,
5: I'm filming now what this is, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was
3: horrendous. We're the one for cork and ready to talk. Can we
0: just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp
3: 83 396
0: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
3: The lines are live. Let's
0: kickstart the conversation.
3: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: On Cork's 96fm.
4: Not only do I guarantee you another... Go at the 10k toy giveaway during the morning, but I have a huge panto giveaway. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, yes, I do. For Aladdin Corks' favorite traditional family pantomime at the Everyman starting on the 8th of December, I have a giveaway of all giveaways this week. Tell you more about it uh, during the morning. A big prize every day for a family sending you off to the Everyman, but not just that, we're going to feed you as well. Well, that's all to come. 1850 715 Beautiful morning. Beautiful cold morning. First frost of the year, I thought, this morning. But it's gorgeous out there right now. And the weather, nice and dry and bright and cold. Nice and fresh uh, for the remainder of November as we head towards December. But what's worrying people, mostly, is what's going to happen in December are they going to close us down again are we faced into another lockdown are we going to end up like Austria are we going to end up like the Netherlands are we going to end up like Belgium because you know you can you can pretend it's not but this is a problem everywhere now and places saying governments around the world having to go backwards when they said they would never would again and we are unfortunately in that very same situation with a new set of restrictions come in last Thursday night uh, the curfew's back on hospitality and for the moment that's about as far back as far as it goes and some people of course back working from home uh, but the general feeling out there I have to say over the weekend talking to people, talking to friends talking to colleagues, talking to other colleagues up and down the country the general feeling is that uh, we will have to tighten up Further, there's going to be no option. And listening to doctors and people in the emergency departments, we are going to have no option at some point very, very soon but to, uh, to restrict ourselves further or to be restricted further. I'm joined on the line by Minister of Foreign Affairs and Defence, uh, Simon Coveney. Simon, good morning. Morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. It's been a while. And so. good to speak, good to speak with you, Minister. You. But that's the general feeling, I think. Uh, as we emerge into this week, that we are inevitably staring down the barrel of more restrictions?
6: Yeah, well, I mean, I uh, I certainly hope that that's not the case, but I think that, that a lot of people are talking that way now, and that is understandable because we've seen a dramatic increase, really, in the last number of weeks, just in the number of people testing positive uh, and of course that's had an implication as well within our hospital system um, you know as we see now close to 670 COVID patients in our hospitals and 125 in ICU which is putting enormous pressure on the system here in Cork but in you know right across the hospital network nationally so in government we have to watch that closely uh, we have to speak to our public health experts and to those in the HSE Uh, And we do regularly in government before we make the kind of decisions that we made last week. So, you know, as the as the chief medical officer, Tony Houlin, said this morning uh, on national radio, the people who get COVID in the month of December, um, you know, they haven't got it yet. Mm. uh, And uh, and nothing is inevitable here. Uh, And with a collective effort, uh, we can reduce the spread of this of this mm-hmm. virus, and we can reduce it dramatically. We've shown that, and we can do it without severe restrictions coming in.
4: Yeah, but we already uh, have. The, we already have in the hospitals very hard decisions being taken, like a transplant operation cancelled. Like that, they don't come much bigger yeah. decisions than that. No, they
6: don't. Uh, and you know that that was a very serious incident. And you know, I don't believe the doctors involved would have made that decision unless they were under enormous pressure. So that's why the government did act last week. That's why we introduced the um, uh, the 12 o'clock limit in relation to late bars and nightclubs. That's why we've asked people to work from home where possible. Um, that's why you know we have been you know very vocal in terms of the use of antigen testing uh, in terms of what it's appropriate for and what it's not appropriate for because we know that last week you know close to one in five adults in Ireland used an antigen test and and we want to make sure that people are using antigen tests. For their benefit, as opposed to getting uh, false reassurance. Are they going to be
4: subsidised? Uh,
6: perhaps, yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a good chance that that the minister for health will will come with a recommendation yeah. to cabinet this week. Like I have, but I have people
4: think- texting me from the UK, minister, Irish people living in Leeds and living in Manchester, yeah. telling me that they have as many as they want for free from the NHS.
6: Yeah, but you know the the COVID numbers. Numbers in the UK aren't anything to write home about. Uh, um,
4: you know, That's hardly the they, point, they can get free antigen no, tests.
6: No, yeah, no, but the point is that we have to make sure that we're using antigen tests in the right way. Uh, and just because they have been used perhaps more in the UK than in Ireland doesn't necessarily mean that that's had a positive effect. That's the point I'm making. So I think we will reduce the cost of, of antigen tests. I think we're likely to see more antigen tests used. Um, I think there's a really good use for them because it's it's essentially like a sort of a a screening system uh, within the workplace, uh, on student campuses, within schools. Uh, If people are asymptomatic and they want to check if they have COVID or not, if they're going to if they're going to event, an event or if they're going to visit somebody that may be vulnerable. Uh, taking an antigen test certainly gives reassurance mm-hmm. uh, in terms of knowing whether you're carrying COVID or not. What antigen tests, from what we're told by the CMO, and I believe him, uh, are not particularly good at is testing people who are symptomatic. In other words, if you've got a heavy head cold, if you've got a temperature, uh, you need to be getting a PCR test and you need to be self-isolating until you get that test, mm-hmm. as opposed to, to getting, uh, to taking an antigen test, uh, it giving you a negative and assuming that you're okay. So, so antigen tests have been used for many months. I mean, people talk about antigen testing in Ireland as if we've never used them. They've been used for a year now uh, in places like um, you know residential care um, settings, uh, in meat factories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lots of lots of companies use antigen testing. That's why you know last week one in five adults took an antigen test, um, and and they have a very useful purpose uh, in screening people and uh, allowing people to reassure themselves that they're not carrying COVID but if you're symptomatic an antigen test is not Mm. what you should be using, you should be getting a PCR test even if you have to wait for a day to get it Might I ask about schools,
4: Minister because the the tracking and tracing and searching of cases in schools was paused and the word from education and all the people contacting us from within the education system Is that the schools are riddled with COVID. And over the weekend, Virgin Media did a good expose on it. A guy called Rob Hanrahan. And he said his, the conclusion was, we're, we're not seeing it because we're not looking for it. And the schools are alive with COVID right now.
5: Well,
6: I mean, uh, PJ, all we can do is follow the public health advice that we have as politicians in government. You know, I'm not a...
4: But can you not say to them, are you sure about that? I mean, is that not the job of government to say to Dr Houlahan or Dr Glynn, are you sure about that, lads?
6: Well, believe me, we say that. You know, before last week's cabinet meeting, the night before, when we were making decisions in relation to COVID, it was a five-hour meeting. And for the first two hours of that... Uh, the public health team were very much interacting, taking questions from people like me and others um, to really try to test uh, their, their thinking on it. Um, the decision was made in September um, that, um, uh, that uh, contact tracing, as we had been doing it in schools, was no longer necessary, that schools by and large are a, uh, are a safe place. To re- um, and most of the infection um, that we see in schools comes from... Uh, from the home or from, other, for, from some other setting. Then, then why are teachers
4: going completely against that view? Why are parents against that yeah, view?
6: Because they're very concerned and we have thousands of students who are currently out of school uh, because either they have symptoms or because they've tested positive. And we also know that children under the age of 12 are also not vaccinated. You know, and therefore, I uh, don't have the same levels of protection as people older than them. And I mean, I have three children in that category. and I just brought them to school, so uh, um, you know, parents need to be very aware of the presence of COVID in children. And if your children do do have symptoms, uh, you should keep them out of school. Uh, and of course, if there is um, uh, somebody with symptoms uh, mm. um, in school, well, then they need to get tested. Right. And look, we're we're going to keep this under. Uh, review. I mean, cost isn't the issue here, uh, PJ. We are simply following okay. public
4: health advice in just, terms just of just on the on the subject of keeping keeping good. children home if they're symptomatic. And and I, I move on to other matters after this, unless people have other questions. But in terms of say, little Johnny has symptoms or suspected yeah. of carrying, like mum or dad has to stay home. It's it's four and mm-hmm. a half weeks to Christmas. Who's going to pay mum or dad? if they don't go to work
6: well look i mean uh, the i mean this is this is a challenge for every family with children uh, and it's been a challenge for for 18 months now through covid um, first of all we're asking people to uh, we're asking adults uh, who are working to work from home if they can and we're af- we're asking employers to facilitate that um that's the first thing um but but if if your child has symptoms um uh, well then uh, you need to get them tested, uh, and you need to mm-hmm. to keep them at home. That is that that is an inconvenience. We know that. What do you mean
4: expensive inconvenience?
6: Well, I mean, look, I mean,
4: the so many uh, people are out there. You don't work. You don't get paid. Yeah, I know that. Which is why,
6: if people need to t- uh, need to take sick leave if they have symptoms themselves. Um, um, uh, the government is supporting that. I mean, mm-hmm. and in terms of in terms what of what about the
4: children, Minister? The, the children are home. mom has to stay or Dad has to stay in mind the children. Dad or mom aren't getting paid. It's four and a half weeks to Christmas.
6: Yeah, but PJ, you know as well as I do, any parent that has a sick child has to try to work around that in terms of work. That's nothing new. And if we have to get if we have to get um, a, a child tested from a PCR test point of view. Um, well then, um, that's that's like having a sick child that you need to keep them home.
4: Yeah. There's um, a whole, of, of course, a there's a, another problem with getting the PCR test. Once again, all the online slots are gone today. Yeah.
6: So, so, so I mean, we're doing, um, you know, within the, the COVID centres, you know, up to 23,000 tests a day at the moment, and then private tests on top of that. So, you know, in Ireland, there's a huge amount of testing going on. Um, uh, that is a, that is a pressure on the system. We want to be able to get tests uh, for people straight away if we can, if there's a delay of a day or so, well, then that is of course an inconvenience. Uh, but we're working to, um, to up the capacity all the time. But I mean, you know, like I think people do understand, uh, that, that there aren't perfect solutions here. You know, we are living through, a, a, a pandemic that is extraordinarily mm. demanding, and take a look at what's happening across Europe. And I, 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 I opened
4: at that point. We're not the only country in Europe with with problems, and but I think people should take an eye across that. We're but, not. We are,
6: yeah. but we are the country, and like just you know, to focus on the positive for a second because there is so much negative there. I know that. Like Ireland has probably had the most successful vaccination program of, of any country in the mm. European
4: mm. Union, and yet our hospitals and are bursting at the, the seams.
6: Yes, exactly. but but but, but virtually. Virtually everybody, particularly in ICU, uh, is either somebody who hasn't been vaccinated or else there's somebody uh, who has been vaccinated but has an underlying condition that makes them vulnerable.
4: Did you miss the ball by not increasing the number of ICU beds in the pandemic? I mean, they've only gone up by the actual fully staffed and available number of beds in ICU. Hasn't gone up by more than a dozen in the 12 months, you know?
6: Yeah, but it is, but it is increasing all the time. But I mean, but but actually, increasing formal ICU beds and staffing them fully with all of the um, uh, nursing uh, staffing requirements and so on is not straightforward, particularly at a time when we have an awful lot of our. Um, um, uh, health workers actually out sick themselves with mm, COVID. Okay. So, so we are committed to significantly increasing ICU beds. Uh, and uh, the current pandemic, <laughs> but with all due
4: respect, in, governments uh, have been committing to increasing uh, ICU beds since I was in short pants in school. Do you know what I mean?
6: Yeah, yeah, but we are actually doing it at the moment. Like we have more ICU beds, significantly more. Well, uh, a dozen maybe. It is the wrong word, but we have more ICU beds now than we had 12 months ago. Maybe a we've dozen. Done that through. Through the pandemic, uh, I'm actually in the Mercy Hospital in the next couple of hours talking to management there in relation to how they're, how they're coping. And I've spoken to people from, from CUH as well. So we are, we are investing in more beds generally, mm-hmm. but also more ICU beds. Uh, and I think that is a big lesson. Do you know
4: all those pandemic. doctors and nurses that came back to answer the call? Like So many of them were never used. We could have staffed a few beds with them.
6: Well, an awful lot of them were used as well um that's why they came back because they were they were offered they were offered short-term contracts uh, and so on and that was a that was an extraordinary effort but i think the focus now has to be pj on protecting people and that means people who haven't been vaccinated getting vaccinated it means that people who are who are eligible to get their boosters actually getting those boosters mm. as uh, as quickly as we can provide them because we know that the, that the levels of protection from vaccination and in particular boosters <laughs> keeps a lot of people out of hospital.
4: I know you offered to put some logis- logistic experience behind that uh, last n- week. Was it taken up?
6: Neil, n- 5% of adults in Ireland haven't been vaccinated, yet 54% of people in ICU mm-hmm. are, are unvaccinated. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and the other uh, 45% or, or, or so are people who, who, who are vulnerable to infection mm-hmm.
4: Um, Even with either. the vaccination, they're still vulnerable. Yeah,
2: I just yeah, can exactly. I
4: just move on a little bit because the one or two course, other yeah. things. Um, people are asking whether the the curfew will be brought back a bit earlier on. I think we'll only know that in the next couple of days. But what is the feeling on it? Do you think the the, the, no, the look, hospitality I mean, curfew?
6: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look, like, like this was this was a a decision that I know is very tough for many people who were operating businesses, people who'd been closed for a very long time, and and they were only open for you know, for three or four weeks. Uh, and and all of a sudden now they're being asked to accommodate restrictions again. I know that's difficult. I know a lot of businesses are struggling as a result of that in terms of nightclub owners and late night bars and so on. But, you know, the, the strong advice that we've had throughout this pandemic is that large numbers of people gathering in, you know, relatively tight space, drinking alcohol, dancing, interacting, socializing, which is what people do mm. in, in nightclubs, we know that that is a, a cause of of infection spread, and so so we felt that because the numbers were were increasing as they were because our hospital system was under as much pressure as it is, that actually we had to wind back um, the level of you know removal of restriction, if you like, somewhat, which is why we've asked people to work from home again where possible and and we've said that look. You, you know, um, nightclubs, you know, operating as normal, mm. uh, we know is adding to the problem. And look, that's not an easy thing for for people involved in this sector to hear, and for a lot of people who want to be able
4: to go clubbing and so on. But look, not even a matter of going clubbing; fix- it's it's going for a quiet point in the roll up to Christmas because people are saying we won't be able to do that. I just have before I, I just well, got some got got numbers, on, got numbers got on my screen point. here. Like that's your-
6: the whole point. We're, no, no, but the, sorry, the whole point of the decisions we made last week, which is to actually put. Uh, a time restriction of not after midnight, uh, uh, be- because we know that that's when most people dance and uh, and interact uh, uh, and are, are, are in bigger groups and so on. The mm-hmm. whole point of doing that was to try to keep the rest of hospitality mm-hmm. open just, you,
4: you, you, so you, You're going to open a whole a a lot more house parties is the other side of that I just got some numbers in front of me here, Minister which are very interesting, coming back to where we said about the, you know the, those who came back to volunteer uh, out of fourteen thousand who did, less than two hundred were actually used. Well, Peter,
6: I mean, I, I just don't know where those figures are coming from, but I'd like I'd like to test them. I don't believe that if fourteen thousand people came home to work, two hundred people ended up working. I mean, I, I but I look, I mean, I, I'll happily get you get your figures from the HSE in relation to that. Some people did come home <laughs> um, without actually uh, an understanding of of where they were likely to be. Uh, to be yeah. able to be used in the health system, but many, many people came and worked on a voluntary basis, whether it was in testing centres, yeah. um, or, or whatever, yeah. you know. And
4: um, people so, are again asking you know, me here now on the phones, and this is what's coming in: like, is the reaction? Are we slow? Are we behind the game? You know, should we should we just go and shut the hell down for three weeks, borders and all, and just try yeah, just but- try to squash it? You know.
6: Yeah, but I know the conversation we'd be having if we made that decision last week. Today, you and I would be talking about businesses that are closing, uh, people without work, um, a, a huge support package being necessary again. Uh, you know, are we overreacting? Um, uh, is there no benefit to having, you know, 93 or 94% of our population vaccinated? You know, so, so no matter what decision we make, uh, and we live in a democracy, you know, those decisions will be challenged, mm-hmm. questioned, criticised, and that's the way it should be. And as they should because be, because these yeah. are these are these are really important decisions. It's about saving lives. Like that's yeah. how important it is. Okay. Um, and 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 protecting our healthcare system
4: and our hospitals through winter, and they're under yeah. huge and, and, and they're creaking forward. and bursting at the seams at the moment. So here's hoping something ha- something comes right in the next couple of weeks. Can I, can yeah, I ask I you about can, Sean Sean Binder, by the way, because yeah, he, yeah. he I've spoken to Sean and to his mother on this program. Over the last number of years what is, is he really facing 20 odd years in jail
6: well i mean look i i, I mean his future will be determined by by a, a court in in greece i mean we're we're working with um with with germany on this case so you know sean as you know is a german citizen he's not an irish citizen but of course he has very strong connections with ireland and he's been living here um, since um, since I think about nineteen ninety nine or so, so so we're watching this case closely. Um, we've met Sean through our embassy in in Athens, and our consular team are are working, as I say, with uh, with their counterparts from Germany to make sure that that he's given all of the rights and protections um, that he deserves in law. But we do have to be careful here because this is going through a legal process uh, in another European country, um, and so we will very much be with him through that process uh, and ensure that he is, he is treated fairly um, and obviously the, the sooner that, that court process can conclude the better um, because um, we know f- for, for example that there was a trial on the uh, 18th of November which was just last week um, and um, effectively the trial didn't take place at all it was adjourned immediately and referred to a higher court mm. uh, and we don't have a date now for, uh, for the next court hearing uh, but, look, we are talking to Sean, and we 'll continue to uh, to talk to him and support him, as indeed are um, are the um, the German embassy as well in Athens
4: with regard to the few weeks to Christmas and people buying, and again, I suppose looking online an awful lot, but trying to buy is there uh, what is your department doing to make sure of supply chains being solid coming from you know, across the EU and elsewhere, what are you doing to make sure supply chains hold up for people?
6: Well, I mean, I mean, first of all, supply chains are holding up, you know, so there, there has been a, a Brexit effect. We know that this year in relation to some businesses, uh, particularly if you're sourcing and your supply chain is linked to the UK and products produced in the UK. And there's an, an awful lot of increased paperwork and sometimes delays and costs as a result of that. But in general, Ireland has adapted to to Brexit in an extraordinarily uh, positive way Um, uh, in terms of the the predicted delays and pressures and costs. And and our revenue commissioners are working with businesses Mm. to try to keep improving that in terms of products coming through our ports. Um, And we'll continue to do that. Of course, we have different challenges in relation to Northern Ireland and the Northern Ireland protocol on Brexit that we're working on as well. But in general, supply chains into Ireland have adapted to new realities. We've seen a dramatic increase in the number of direct ferry traffic now Mm. uh, um, servicing mainland Europe, if you like. And lots of companies have simply readjusted their supply chains.
4: Mm. I know it's a small thing, but there's a concern this morning about a supply of Christmas trees. I know in the big big picture it's a tiny thing, but that's the concerns people have.
6: Well, yeah, I wasn't aware of that, although... I I, um,
4: I I just don't have the stats on Christmas. Apparently, the artificial still, trees that we should be getting they are all yeah, stuck yeah, on yeah. tankers. I mean, there was then. a
6: time when I was in the Department of Agriculture, I would have been able to give you that give you an answer to that question off the top of my yeah. head. But I'm but I uh, um you know uh, yeah. uh, my my uh, we we generally source a Christmas tree certainly from Irish suppliers, and I'd encourage oh, other down people. down the road around the corner. Well. I was right. talking about
4: the artificial ones, since they're stuck on trucks from halfway around the world. They they can't they yeah. can yeah, Well, we have in. a lot of
6: good. Yeah, we have a lot of good companies in Ireland that are supplying Christmas trees and I'd encourage people to support local businesses if they
4: yeah, can. There hasn't been a great crop here either as well, according to the weather, but there's nothing you can do about that, I guess. Uh, lots of people c- c- want me to come back to the COVID issue and, course, and look yeah. looking at Austria now uh, and the situation there and Germany have already announced as well that uh, they may consider mandatory Vaccination going down the road of no jab, no job in certain sectors is that something the government should consider to get those who simply will not, not those who cannot, but those who simply will not, to force them on side?
6: I don't think that's a good idea.
2: Why not? Um,
4: and uh, well, let me
6: explain why. So, first of all, the vast majority of, ad- of adults in Ireland have been convinced by the science um, because it's undisputable, in my view. Um, that actually getting vaccinated is the right thing to do. So we are at about 94% of our population vaccinated now, and and that population are, uh, is is increasing each year by, or sorry, each each day uh, by um, by by more and more people deciding, having thought about it, that actually getting vaccinated makes sense. There is a small group of people who, for whatever reason, um, are very nervous and skeptical, simply about
4: refusing. Let's call it what it is. Yeah simply yes, refusing for the sake of refusing
6: yes pj but in my view many of those people who've made their decision not to be vaccinated and i you know i think it's the wrong decision but but for them they they believe it's the right decision i don't believe changing the law necessarily will force a lot of those people to be vaccinated instead it'll cause an enormous amount of rancor and tension with people um uh, and so, what we need to do, and, and what we've done very successfully, better than virtually any other country in Europe, is to persuade people through argument and science. Irish people don't respond well to being forced to do things. They want to be persuaded uh, 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 to to do that. And that's why the government's strategy, which has been successful, because as I say, 94%. But you know yourself, for the
4: vast majority of us. of us, we don't need forcing, but there will be those who do.
6: Yeah. And that's um, just in yeah. life
4: in general, you know?
6: Yeah. Yeah. And if you speak to doctors and nurses who are working in ICU and in hospital, you know, the truth is it is the five or six percent of people who've chosen not to be vaccinated that are putting immense pressure on our hospital system. You know, and that's a responsibility that people need to reflect on, too. So so if we you know, if we had 100 percent of our adults vaccinated, we would have far less people in ICU and far less people in hospital. We know that. Yeah. Uh, and that's why, you know, the the argument here is not just asking people to be vaccinated for their own health. It's also asking people to be vaccinated to be part of a collective effort uh, to actually reduce the spread of this virus and the danger in hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this is this is something that I hope people will listen to. They are listening to because. As I say, we have a higher number of people vaccinated than any other country, I think, with the exception of Denmark, which is at about the same
4: figure. Gibraltar as, we as well has 100% of its population, but yeah.
6: I, I, yeah, but that's a tiny population.
4: Uh, yeah, you know, I know, so, but it's so, still so, 100%. So. I, okay, L- last one, and I know you're probably going to scream at me for asking you this, but look, oh, yeah. 2016 we had the first sod on the event centre. Any chance of a second sod, <laughs> let alone a few yeah, bricks? Look,
6: look, yeah, look, I mean, I've taken a lot of heat on... On this project, um, you know, all I can say to you is that at every point when when this project has nearly failed, uh, we have prevented that from happening and we've kept it afloat. This project is still afloat. It is going to happen. I, in my view, it is making progress. There are a couple of things in I'm our lifetime. About to you about. No, look, yeah, Look, I can understand the cynicism here, right? And I will really enjoy being on your radio show when actually we see this building started. But it is moving forward. Uh, the two key parties, BAM and and Live Nation, are spending money on this project to move it forward. And the state has committed 50 million euros to this project. And I can tell you, I spoke to Anne Doherty, the, um, uh, the chief executive of the City Council, this morning on on the event centre. Uh, and uh, And things are moving forward and happening in a way that... I'm quite happy with, I have to say, but but I but I can't talk about uh, for for obvious
4: reasons because we we're,
6: we're trying to move. M- forward, might we see um, a shovel in the so
4: 2022?
6: Uh, yes, I think so, um, and uh, I mean there is some. Uh, internal design work to be completed still, um, but I think um, there's a very good chance okay. that we'll see this this project actually starting construction next year. All right. Um, but I, I mean, look, I mean, I've given so many dates in the past that I know people are no better than to are give are another one. I think is what
4: you're telling me at this stage.
6: Uh, yeah, I do, but I, but I do want to say to people, look, you know, I mean, I could have simply you know accepted this this project was gone years ago and i could have blamed other people for it and so on we've never done that because this is a project that cork needs badly needs it's totally unacceptable for me that a city the size of cork with the ambition that we have doesn't have a large indoor event center to hold international events and concerts and so on and cork people having to go to dublin Mm. for an awful lot of their entertainment you know in terms of big venues that 's just not acceptable in the future, given mm-hmm. the ambition we have for growth in Cork, so this is a project that is essential okay. for the city. It is going to happen the government 's going to put fifty million euros into it, and it 's going to be run by you know one of the largest event management companies on the planet in live nation you know and that is a great story okay. it 's taken a lot longer than it should have I know that, and i 've taken my share of blame for that, um, but I do think this is this is on track to okay. um, uh, for construction to start next month One year.
4: has come in, and literally I suppose we probably have maybe 30 seconds at most. Do you have an interest in getting behind the saving of Owen Accorda, Minister?
6: I just don't know the details of that now. Um, but if, if, if the person who's calling you wants to call me directly in the uh, uh, either directly on my mobile or in the office uh, in Carrigaline, I'll, I'll happily talk to, uh,
4: to them in detail about it, uh, PJ. okay, That's no I'll, problem. Okay. I just wanted to bring it to you. Thank you very much for being with us. Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence uh, Simon Coveney, thank you. 1850 715 996. I hope there was something in that for you there. We tried. We got lots of questions to the Minister and we got a good time with him this morning. I don't know how satisfied you are with his responses. We'll soon see.
3: Can we just talk The opinion line on Corks 96 FM
0: with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. Cmig.ie. Let's get down, let's get down to
7: business.
3: We're
0: back to the music.
3: The Corks 96 FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now.
0: 96FM.ie now. (laughs) Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro Just Eat voucher
3: The power to pick what we play Pick what we play Let's
8: get down, let's get down to business
0: Join the Quark's 96FM music panel Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter
8: Or
3: see 96FM.ie
4: Now there was a lot more going on over the weekend than just COVID Like what's this about? Stefan Doyle, the Romanian X Factor man. He's back with me later on. He had another special weekend on Romanian X Factor. Much more special than just singing a song on Romanian X Factor of the weekend. He'll be talking to me before midday today. Trina Golden, though, talk about education, and I brought it up there with Minister Covdi, but let's go to the, the heart of the matter, as it were. Trina Golden is with the We Educate Together National School. And before we came on air, I spoke to her about the situation in which they find themselves at the moment. Trina, go through the problems as regards finding substitute teachers. It's getting progressively worse, I think, with every passing week.
9: It is, PJ. Look, a lack of subs has been an ongoing issue for years. It's not a new thing. But with COVID, like like in many sectors... It's really shone a light on the issues that are there because obviously the absences are increasing. With um, staff having to restrict movements when they need a test, which is taking a few days, um, having just to stay off to look after kids who are home and can't go to school for the same reason. Um, we're just obviously seeing higher levels of absence. So really we're noticing that the impact then in trying to get subs, yeah. is, and the not on impact is there. And the subs just aren't there. Um, so, at the moment, what we're seeing is there's a list of, of ways to go about finding a sub. There are supply panels, which tend to be booked out at least a few days in advance. Mm. There's a national sub-seeker um, app that you use. It's almost impossible to find someone off that last minute. It would, ha- again, have to be in advance. And then we have set up local WhatsApp groups just to try to find anyone mm and we're at the point now where most of the people you can find, if they're available, are student teachers who are unqualified. Hmm. Um, but it's it's somewhat to have in the classroom.
4: Yeah, because That's if there's really nobody amazing. there, the class has to go home, isn't that right?
9: Exactly. So, unfortunately, we were in that situation ourselves last week. Um, I had to send the class home last Monday, and it's absolutely something that should never happen in a school under any circumstances.
4: Now, we, uh, uh, there's a yep. shortage of teachers generally i think and then the pandemic of course isn't isn't helping but this thing about booking in advance like i take it that that does not account or cannot account for the teacher who wakes up feeling under the weather at 7 a.m. and rings the school and says i'm sorry i i won't be in today what do you do
10: then
9: that's exactly it so that's where we were last monday at 7 a.m. i got two calls we only have three teachers um and myself as a support teacher. So I had two out. I could cover one class and we'd no one to cover the other. So I spent a, over an hour frantically trying to find someone anywhere, using all those methods, WhatsApping local groups, getting on to local principals. And there just wasn't anyone available. So we had no choice but to close the class. And unfortunately, we weren't the only school to do that last week. And it's only going to continue to get worse from what I can see.
4: Well, the weather has turned cold over the weekend. That brings its own problems, colds and flu and and the likes of that regular every winter. Then COVID on top of it. Trina, what I'm hearing from my own contacts around the place is that despite what we're being told by the government, that COVID, the schools are riddled with COVID and it's having a devastating effect on trying to run them. Would you agree with that?
9: Absolutely. I I don't think it's in doubt. I think anyone working in a school or anyone with a child in a school at the moment is well aware that we're seeing classes with anywhere from 5, 10, even 15 cases, Um, and we're hearing about it all the time. So while it's not being reported as official clusters because we're not contact tracing, It is there in schools and and whatever the health side of things, of course, we need to look at that as well. But just from a very practical day-to-day management, Mm. it does mean any time a staff member's out with a cough, any time they have a sore throat, or usual things that you would just come to work with normally, um, that's not an option now. So that's where the knock-on impacts are happening.
4: There was a very good report on Virgin Media over the weekend and the point being made with regards to the school's Come back to the the non-contact tracing, the removal of contact tracing, you won't find it if you're not looking for it. So it's,
7: exactly.
9: been, it's been
4: convenient to get rid of contact, contact tracing.
9: It is. And look, I think we all laughed about 18 months ago when we heard Donald Trump saying, well, if we don't test, the cases will drop. And everyone found that hilarious. But in reality, that's what we're seeing in schools. You know, there are fewer... The cases in kids have trebled since contact tracing was stopped. And yet we're reporting that there are no outbreaks. Norma Foley is reporting that, you know, there's been very limited outbreaks. But really, you know, what what data are we using there? So it just feels disingenuous. You know, I appreciate that the capacity may not be there for the contact tracing in schools at the moment. Um, I don't think they could keep up with the level of COVID in schools at the moment. And I'm not saying that that's the solution but then don't come out and tell us that it's not there. You know, just be honest about that and say, look, we don't have the capacity for this right now. Um, And then increase the other mitigation measures. So that's the other factor that's just not being discussed. We haven't put in filtration. We haven't done any of the other options that are there to avoid this level of of circulation. Mm. Um, And these are the knock-on effects.
4: Trina, I know you've got a, a, a class to teach today, so off you go and go and do it and thanks for being with us on the opinion line.
9: Thanks, Peter. Can we just talk
4: the opinion
3: line on Cork's 96 FM with
0: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Cork Diary on
3: Cork's 96 FM.
0: Upper Glenmire Community Association presents a fantastic two part concert on Friday, the 26th of November at 8 pm. Featuring the comedy stylings of the Glen Theatre Drama Group with their production of The Barber's Chair and music from the Mayfield. Men's Shed Trio If you have an event you would like mentioned Email corkdiary at 96fm.ie
3: Can we just talk The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
0: Call us now 1850
3: 715 996 On Cork's
4: 96fm I'm holding over your comments On Minister Simon Coveney Until after 10 Because we are very very busy with them Also our panto competition Give you details of that just after 10 and remember we're also playing another round of the 10k toy giveaway sometime between now and midday. Plenty to come on the opinion line. We, there was a letter written to the Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly on behalf of some 70 families around the country who have a child with spina bifida because there is a massive waiting list for the kind of care that these children need. In fact it's been described as an abhorrent waiting list for their kind of care. Amanda Collins-Santry is spokesperson for that group and she joins me. I'm also joined in a moment by Claire Murphy, who's a, a parent from, from here in Cork. But I'll start with you, Amanda. Good morning to you.
11: Morning. How are you?
4: Good. Now, this letter doesn't put a tooth in it. It's an abhorrent waiting list. What kind of things are happening for, chi- for, for children with spina bifida?
11: Okay, I suppose firstly I should um, tell you that that number has actually gone up from 70, it's gone up to 82. We currently have 82 children who are waiting for uh, urgent orthopedic care in relation to having spina bifida, scoliosis. These children are all born with complex medical needs and they are sitting on waiting lists 12 plus months for What I suppose Children's Health Ireland and the government deem as elective surgeries, which to parents like us make it sound like that we can opt in and out of them, but they're they're life changing. They're they're the difference between our ability, our children's ability to be able to go to school and not go to school. Um, it's just like it really is appalling. The state have a history of um neglecting and uh, children. Yes. Um. Just it's it's appalling. Like it's very very bad. The situation is very very. Because bad.
4: they do need they do need ongoing medical care, and like you said, the state deems it to be elective. But I guess it's not elective if you need it. You need it now, and 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 you need it. Your child needs it when they need it, and not when someone decides to give it to them. Hold on there for me, Amanda. Claire Murphy. Claire, good morning to you.
2: Hi, PJ. How are you?
4: Good. Oh, good. Now, thanks. Uh, t- tell me about Abby.
2: Abby. Um, Abby's six years old um, with spine bifida and hydrocephalus. She's an amazing, clever, headstrong girl, and um, mm-hmm. she attends mainstream at St. Peter's National School in John Gourney. Um Abby, she loves swimming and dancing and theatre. She attends water babies and Montforts. Mm-hmm. Um, so Abby started walking with the frame and... AFOs at the age of two.
4: AFOs now um, being sure. leg supports, aren't they?
2: Yes. Yeah. And um, he walks now independently with the AFOs. Um, Abby has been diagnosed with hip dysplasia. Um, Abby is waiting on an oste- osteotomy operation since 2018. Right. Um, Dr. Connor Green would like to do a double hip op to prevent arthritis setting in and without having to do a full hip-hop in later years. And mm-hmm. um, he's wanted the operation done by the age of four. So she would not remember it. He's a, a very compassionate man.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Hip so, dysplasia is a nasty uh, thing and, and it's it's major surgery to fix. And the younger it's done, the better.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, Abby's catheterized five times a day. And she has to be cared for in all aspects of toileting. So this is very worrying you know, the impact of the long delay in surgery will have on her future. Yeah. So I can see she's more reliant on her wheelchair. Yeah. And um, the longer she has to wait.
4: And sorry, yeah. did I miss it there, Claire? The doctor said she should ha- she should have had that surgery in twenty eighteen.
2: Yes. Um he was hoping um it would be done within six months, you know, but he was hoping that it would be done by the age of four, you know. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. And my daughter doesn't deserve this at all, as all the other children, eighty-two of them, have to wait this length for surgery, and she has already come through so much at the and the knock-on effect of her life and my and my life is cruel.
4: Yeah, what is her life like? I mean, she, like you said, she has to wear a catheter, does she? Um,
2: I have to catheterize her uh, five times a day
4: to go to the toilet
2: yes yeah. and um, tell me Claire
4: sorry now would, 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 would the operation solve that problem
2: um, well the operation would tell matters for later on in life as regards to avoid um, UTIs gotcha. um, so yeah. that's why he's hoping you know gotcha. that it gotcha. would have been done yeah.
4: so She's waiting yeah. until 2018. And the response, there was, was there a response to the letter to Mr. Don, Minister Donnelly, um,
2: Amanda?
11: No, not, not yet. The letter went off last Tuesday to Minister Donnelly in relation to it, but historically, Minister Donnelly doesn't have a great um, track record of linking in with families like ours. Like... Last year, there was no bouncy castles in backyards. There was no children's sport. So what we can't understand is why children, like there was no children's orthopedic accidents. So why there should have been more time for orthopedic surgeries in relation to children who have spina bifida because they desperately need them. And I know a lot of people listening today, they'll be like, oh, I take my child abroad. I go privately. But what I think the general public don't understand is that this isn't an option for our children. They're too medically complex and they're too medically vulnerable to travel and they need aftercare in this country. Yeah. They, and they can't to wait the, to, to the new children's hospital. Like that's two and a half years down the line. That's that's not appropriate to allow Abby or all any of the other 81 children waiting. Like they're becoming, their limbs are becoming maimed and they're becoming disfigured and deformed in front of their parents and their siblings eyes. And that's that's yeah. like an intolerable kind of cruelty. They're
4: becoming more reliant on on wheelchairs and and other things like that. Clara, In you that, you must be yeah. desperate. Are you desperately worried that if something isn't done soon that Abby's situation will get worse?
2: Oh totally because of the legs have gone to four now so now and Lee he's, she has to use the wheelchair because her legs get tired. Mm-hmm. So it's you know it is it is very hard on her, you know, and it's heartbreaking for me as well to see her, but I just, you know, keep strong for her, and she is, she is very strong-minded herself, so, you're, you know, you doing you're, great.
4: You're doing your absolute best, and, and, and no more can you do, uh, and keep doing it, and I know you will. I don't need to say it to you, but Claire, thank you, and Amanda, thank you, spokesperson for that group. So there's now 82 parents up and down the country have written to Stephen Donnelly, uh, wondering why there's such a ridiculous delay in surgery. There you heard Claire telling you, Abby, Abby's doctor wanted to do this surgery in 2018. We're coming into 2022. The poor child is still waiting. Not good enough.
12: Can we just talk?
3: The Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with
0: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
3: Corks 96 FM's 10K toy giveaway
0: is here. I, 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 I got a packet full of cash for money. We're giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees for free. For free. Take you on a
3: straw spree. Listen to Casey and Lost in the morning and all day long. Then
0: text or WhatsApp in for your chance to win. On
3: 83 3 9696. 96 96 Feels good. Cork's 96FM's 10K Toy
0: Giveaway. with douglas Village Shopping Centre. For toys, food, fashion and lifestyle. 50 years at the heart of the village. Only on Cork's
3: 96FM.
4: Crossing live to Austria in a little while. They're gone back into lockdown. We're going to find out what that's like and how tough their lockdowns are. That's to come. Also, loads of your comments on Simon Coveney. Big mixed reception, I think. To be fair, for the minister. On this morning's program, get to that in a little while. But Selina joins me. Selina, you work in healthcare. We don't need to say where, but it's 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 a problem at the moment. You're, you're bursting at the seams, I think. Good morning.
13: Good morning, um, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Um, yes, after listening to um, Simon this morning, I just felt passionate enough to um, just make some points. You know, some 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 different points. Um, the healthcare system. Yeah, I mean, doctors, nurses, healthcare assistants. Everyone is exhausted. I mean, it's it's been two years, um, approximately, um, and I think everyone is doing their their best. Um, and they're all mentally and physically exhausted and I think there there is very little respect in some ways because I mean all of these you know in, in, in the medical field they're, they're actually even when they're vaccinated with boosters and double vaccine they're still all taking their lives daily and working long hours but that's the that's positive with the negative but um, Simon comes on I mean PJ, I think you know, you you made an excellent point last week and it's something, unless you're looking at the data from the HSC um, as well, our ICU beds, we have one of the lowest numbers mm-hmm. of ICU beds in the world. I think it's the fifth or sixth country we come in on one one of the lowest. Mm-hmm. Um, by international that, standards,
4: by, for that, head of yeah. population, we should have between 450 and 500. <laughs> we have
13: 300. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so you know yourself, you 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 you. I heard you saying it last last week, and the majority of public, with the utmost respect, are not going to know. Not all, you know, about ICU beds. So, again, to get back to the point of, so you've got doctors, nurses exhausted, healthcare assistants paid maybe eleven or twelve an hour, um, exhausted. Um, going in to risk their lives. I know doctors and nurses might be paid a certain amount, but they're working 12. The majority of shifts are 12, 14 hours. So Simon comes on and he says, okay, about this and that. But we have our country TDs that took three increases in 12 months. I could be correct on this. It could be two wage increases. Yes, yes. Our doctors and nurses and our ICU beds, our healthcare system was a disaster four years ago, 10 Mm. years ago, five years ago pre-COVID. Did you hear anything this morning about, yes, the same spiel we get from every one of them every year. Look, we are reviewing ICU beds. We are reviewing this. You know, No, they're not. Our nurses and doctors are leaving. They've gone to work in Canada, Australia. They don't want to come back here. Yeah. Because yeah. once you're in the system, you can see that we have a government that will look after themselves and they will come on and do their spiel, nothing personal against Simon, but they will sit, talk the talk. But again, the most important thing here is should be, ICU bed should be at 500, 600, because we're putting normal people now, I'm not going to get into vaccinated or unvaccinated because that's just going to cause more chaos. But what I'm going to say is we should be looking at the like of our healthcare system so that the pressure should not be as bad as what it is at the moment. and putting normal people into more stress that have been two years in stress, PJ.
4: Yeah, I get your point. Selena, thank you very much for your call. Excellent. Uh, 1850, 715 996. Yeah, it's, that's a figure that that report was done It's it's a number of years ago now, but there was a report done on approximately how many beds there should be, public ICU beds there should be, per head of population. And for our population, we should have, available and staffed, should have, between 450 and 500. We have between 290 and 310 That's just a fact it has been the situation for donkey's years. And that is why we come under this kind of pressure. And make no bones about it. Our, our, Our ICU system is too small. And it comes under this kind of pressure. On tests, Kate says, why don't they just expand the opening hours? Even right up to 24 hours. The cost will be minimal compared to the savings in lost work time. 9 euro for an antigen test is that true? I tried to book a COVID test here in Cork today, there are none available only in Dunmanway. antigen tests are costing anything between 4.50 and yeah, 8 or 9 euro my son has been off for most of second term because of his cough and sniffles but PCR is always negative but he can't go to school because of the cough why have they stopped telling us how many people are dying each week? They haven't actually They, they tell us every so often uh, you just don't... It just doesn't come up as big a headline as it used to. Uh, Simon Covely, simply spinning the validity of antigen testing. It's a great tool which I've used for six months now as I had free access because I work in the UK. I've been home now for a couple of months. I still use them. Three weeks ago, I became symptomatic and took an antigen test, which was positive. I immediately isolated as I couldn't get a PCR till next day. That was also positive. The government needs to wake up on antigen tests and the value... The health service is the real issue, which can't cope with the cases on top of normal service. Yet this will be with us for probably for years. Stop the spin and do something positive. Lockdown should not be necessary. It's just a convenient fallback position. All words and bluster. And trust me, I've got an awful lot of people. An awful lot of people uh, coming in on the back of my interview with Minister Coveney. But let me cross to, to Austria to Tony Dunn, uh, who's who's from Cork and grew up in Australia and now work, you work, Tony, I think in a bar in the Alps in Austria. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning,
7: PJ Hartings.
4: Good to talk to you, good to talk to you. Now, what's life like in Austria as of this weekend?
7: Well, we, we had a nice weekend before, uh, as they were calling it, end of days last night and now we're locked down for 20 days so yeah people are a bit upset i suppose
4: describe how harsh lockdown is
7: i mean you know we've this is the fourth one we've gone through so i mean for me it's not a big deal because i've just got a newborn baby but lots of people are a bit pissed off i suppose
4: yeah yeah and how how much pressure is the health system under over there tom it's and yeah it's this is the problem it's it's
7: bursting at the seams at the moment and that's why they've decided to do this lockdown
4: yeah and what's the van- vaccination availability and the take up
7: i mean the vaccinations are wild, w- widely available it's just people people are not getting them because yeah. our uh, yeah just various factors
4: what kind of what kind of reasons do they give
7: Social media and idiots, idiots online, and the right-wing uh, politicians in this country
4: spread, spreading false, you know, false information. Yeah, yeah. you sound like you've. I know, <laughs> having a new baby in the house. I can appreciate that half that is down to exhaustion. But but you you do sound like you've kind of had it at this stage. Hello. You sound like you've had enough at this stage you there, Tony? Uh, check and see, is he on the line there? Fee, we'll see if we can get him back. That's Tony Dunn. Born in Cork, did a lot of his growing up in Australia, as you can hear from his accent, and now he's in a bar in Austria in the Alps. He's there for the last 14 years. Just became a daddy, and they've locked down for 20 days, so his business is gone. He's back. Tony, what I was, what I was saying there was, you just sound like you, you've had enough at this stage.
7: Yeah, well, they promised us that we wouldn't be locked down again, especially as if you've been vaccinated. So this is a bit of a you know, especially before Christmas. And yeah. they'll they'll do what they did before drip feed us, saying yeah, we'll be out of lockdown in twenty days, but we can all see that they'll probably
4: extend it maybe over Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't do much for public mood. And I know you're coming into winter and Vienna and all those places. All the big cities have the world famous Christmas markets. They're all gone now. And of course, there's the skiing season in the in the Alps. I suppose is that gone now? Do you think?
7: Um, well, it'll be probably like they did last winter, where local people can go skiing, but there'll be no tourists. If if there's if you know if it stays away, it is now. But there, there is talk of opening the ski, skiing for 2G, so you have to have a vaccination or
4: be recovered from yeah. corona. But, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. They're also talking, or have they made a decision, that from, is it February 1, you must be vaccinated? It's compulsory. Yeah. How's that going down?
7: Well, I mean, for people who want to get on with their lives and, you know... This is great, but you know, obviously, there's going to be people who don't want that, and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all for it. Let's get on with our lives and
4: get this over and done with. Mm-hmm. And for people who just want to refuse for the sake of refusing, like w- w- last week, I, I know, know that they tried to, they, they they locked down the unvaccinated last week, and I believe was it something like you could be fined five hundred euro if you were caught out on a non-essential visit or so a non-essential trip out and you were unvaccinated is that true huge fines yeah well the fines were up to
7: 1500 i think wow. depending on the situation i mean we were in the bars this week and the police came in and checked everyone so it's they are checking they are looking for the people who aren't playing by the rules so yeah okay
4: okay Well, you go and mind that new child of yours and congratulations to yourself and your your partner. And I hope that they do open up again in time for Christmas. Uh, Thanks to uh, mutual friend Rory, uh, who put me in touch with uh, Tony. Um, Thanks, Tom. He works in a bar in the Alps. It's the start of skiing season and it looks fairly wrecked, fairly inaccurate again. Uh, And compulsory vaccination from the 1st of February in Austria. And straight away, I have, where did this one... Hang on, where's my screen gone here? Yes, John. John was on. John's Ah, yeah, John. Hi, John. Uh, why is P- PJ pushing an agenda and intimidating a government minister to get a message out there that everyone needs to be vaccinated? People have a right not to get vaccinated if that is their choice. <laughs> Me? Intimidate a government minister? Yes, John, I want, I want to be up very early now to intimidate Simon Coveney. So I would... Uh, People have a right not to get vaccinated. Yeah, listen, I'm sure, whatever floats your boat. But I said this before and I'll say it again and I'm happy to perish on this rock. I think it's your civic duty. And I think if you're not vaccinated for any reason other than I don't want to, then you're not doing your civic duty. 185715996. Robert says PJ asked a lot of questions but didn't get a lot of answers. I'll give Minister Coveney a tip. When you hear elaborations, evasions and deflecting from the main point of the question, people start not believing the rest of what you say. If you answer a point square on, people give you a chance. Why do the HSE not just take over a hospital, a private one, in each county or region and do all operations there? Say in Cork, let COVID be dealt with in COH, the Mercy, and the other operations be dealt with somewhere else. Move the relevant doctors, consultants, nurses, etc. and get the job done. But as usual, the HSE don't know how to organise anything, just waste money. Problem is, then you take over a hospital. It's a great idea. You take over another hospital, where do the patients that were supposed to be in that hospital, where do they get treated? Like if the HSE was to take over the bonds, or the HSE was to take over the matter, private, like, where, where, where do the patients go that are supposed to be in there? So it's not as simple as it looks. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. So he's saying people working, if the whole family have to isolate, they just don't get paid, and they have to just suck it up at Christmas, But people on benefits get paid either way, plus a bonus. How is that fair? Surely we should be entitled to sick pay. He was very vague. Uh, He said parents will stay home without pay when their children are sick, like any other sickness where we have to work around it. But this is not like other sicknesses. This is isolation. Every time a child coughs until you get the test result, it's having a much bigger impact on everyday life. Parents should be paid while they wait for PCR results. If Simon's party hadn't run down the number of beds overall and the number of nursing staff, the system wouldn't be under so much pressure. It's where their brand new government, says Ted. Well, Ted, not that I'm disagreeing with you for a second, but the problem of running down the number of beds goes way back beyond or before this government. They've been running them down for years. We have roughly, per head of population, we should have the bones of 500 ICU beds. We have three. We need more testing centres. If I'm ill, I'll need someone to drive me to a centre in Araguay. An hour away. If my town has more cases, then put centres in there. And that's one thing they did in Australia and New Zealand and did it very successfully. Pop-up centres. They literally drive to a town. If the town is a cluster, you drive to the town, you open up the back of an army truck or something, and there's a the testing centre. And the pages and pages and pages and pages and pages. By the way, we will be doing 10K Toy Giveaway, oh, sooner than you think. Sooner than you think, the latest round of 10K Toy Giveaway and our pantomime competition with Aladdin at the Everyman. That's after 11. I'll explain how that works.
3: Can we just talk?
4: The Opinion line on
3: Courts 96 FM with
0: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Call us now 1850 715 996
4: on Courts 96 FM. I don't know if you know what Telegram is. Uh, if you don't, you're probably better off because some of what's on it isn't very pleasant at all. It's a social media network, but it tends to be where it tends to be where discussions go that might you mightn't get away with on other platforms. There's been a very interesting report done on the growth of far right activity on Telegram. Uh, and the group who's done it is the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, and I'm joined by one of their analysts and one of the authors of the, of the report, Kieran O'Connor. Kieran, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Now, before we get into what you found, for for people who wouldn't be familiar with it, what is Telegram? It's is it like an
8: X-rated Twitter or what is it? <laughs> um, it, it looks like WhatsApp, which is a helpful way to think about it. So it has different chats and different, you know, you click into different chats. And the, the big difference with Telegram is that as opposed to having kind of one-on-one chats, there are public channels and these channels could have anywhere from, you know, a couple of dozen uh, members or followers, subscribers to a couple of thousand or hundreds of thousands, but only the person who runs the channel or the administrators can, can post on the channel. So it kind of operates in the same way like WhatsApp, but in terms of the the kind of groups or communities who use it, uh, it's favoured a lot by far-right communities, extremist communities, uh, conspiracy communities, especially in the last uh, 18 months to two years as well. It's been mm. a big, big growth in use. Would it be fair to
4: say that people turn up on Telegram, some at least people turn up on Telegram, because what they're posting would get them kicked off Twitter or kicked off Facebook or kicked off Instagram.
8: Yeah, yeah. And that's typically how you kind of see someone's journey towards or how a group's journey towards Telegram is that they posted something uh, on on the larger platforms, Facebooks, Instagrams of the world, and they fell foul of the community guidelines on those platforms. And then they migrate to Telegram. And Telegram as a platform, um, it has... Barebones terms of service that has few, if any, rules on on what can and can't be posted. Limited content moderation policies, and in fact, it only bans content that promotes violence or distributes illegal pornographic material. So as a result, Telegram is now the primary platform for many extremist communities online who have been pushed off other platforms. Yeah.
4: Now you and your colleagues spent some time examining it, and what have you found?
8: Yeah, well, earlier this year we researched Irish far-right communities online, and specifically the use of these communities by Telegram. And um, we, we created we created our sample by essentially finding one group and then seeing where their content was being for- forwarded to or being posted to. And essentially, what we found is that the popularity of of Telegram amongst Irish far-right communities it's it's, it's clear now. In 2019. There was roughly eight hundred messages sent among a cluster of, of far right channels. In twenty twenty the number of channels increased to thirty-four and they sent over sixty thousand messages. So really in, in twenty twenty, and this only continues in this year as well, Telegram became the, the platform of choice for these kinds of communities who who who've been pushed off other platforms.
4: And what sort of uh, things and, are uh, they what sort of agendas are they pushing?
8: Yeah, well, Telegram acts as a, a staging platform and a
15: PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
8: For a lot of Irish far-right communities, they use this to, to promote their ethno-nationalist view of Ireland. What that means is these groups define Irish as this monocultural white Ireland. Ireland for the Irish. That's the kind of phrasing you mm-hmm. often see. But they but, but they make this claim by supporting extreme nationalism, racism, xenophobia, or is to some degrees authoritarianism. And uh, they reject diversity in all its forms. They 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 they, they go against minority rights. They encourage violence And what we really, in our report, we focus on a number of kind of case studies, a number of kind of key moments for these communities over the last 18 months, Um, one of them being the reaction to the shooting of George and Kensho in Dublin uh, over over the Christmas break. And what we found there was that Telegram acted as a a staging platform for these communities to then move uh, or post content onto Twitter or onto Facebook, where there are larger numbers of, of people. And... I mean, around, around the reaction to George and Ken show, one, one post that was posted in one of these groups was make memes and get trolling, i.e. make racist memes that denigrate the black Irish community and start posting these on Twitter to try and to, to, to try and rile up people. We also looked at the reaction to the uh, appointment of Roderick O'Gorman yes. as, the, as the Minister for Children. That was particularly and, uh, nasty, I must say. Yes. It really was. Uh, Radical Gorman, of course, is, is a game man. But what we found in these communities is that in these communities on Telegram is that Telegram was used as as a megaphone for slurs, a smear campaign uh, acted as an entry point for for wider for a wider campaign directed against LGBTQ groups. And the way this really worked was that those accusations uh, leveled against Gorman or Gorman immediately after his appointment and these he started on fringe forums moved to telegram where these these groups uh took it and ran with it and then moved it across to other platforms like Twitter's and like facebook and this culminated in in offline protests where uh those one group who were marching with banners that had uh, protect the children on it and, and this mm. and, and linking the idea of of lgbt lgbt communities to um to, 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 to children and, and this kind of thing. So linking the two together, creating online outrage to organize offline protests against O'Gorman um, and instigating just uh, widespread harassment against people and members of the LGBT community. A,
4: a simplistic way to dismiss Telegram might be to say, I look, it's just a crowd of crazies howling at the moon, but it's more than that.
8: It is more than that. And look, Telegram is is a platform. It's used by, um, it's used by civil society groups in Belarus, for example, to get around state-controlled media. So there are, of course, important uses for these kinds of platforms. Yes. But, what we see in the Irish context is that Telegram is the favoured space of, of far-right groups who want to use racist narratives to get themselves ahead to try and recruit more people to their cause. We see conspiracy communities who who want to claim without any base that, that the vaccines are, are deadly and things like this. They, they post links to, uh, to, to articles or to videos on these platforms and then share it other, uh, to other platform, And you can actually see with some examples where something started on a telegram nice. group of 250 people and then it's shared on Facebook and people are sharing this. And, and when, when, when you hear people, people like myself talk about misinformation and disinformation, the difference really is that disinformation is deliberate. Someone is, someone or some group is posting something, knowing it's false, knowing it's offensive, knowing it's, it's designed to deceive. But the way the things move across online is that when it moves onto Facebook away and it doesn't have that clear intent and let's say your uncle shares it without realizing it, then it becomes misinformation because they're not aware of the source. They don't know... Who created this meme, this image, who created this video? And if they can't stand over the source, yet this content, it just, it shares, it moves across online so sneaks,
4: It sneaks into the mainstream and and gets into the minds of people people who,
8: yeah. You did a
4: lot of work back in the earlier part of the year on vaccine misinformation and and how Mm -hmm. Telegram was being used in that regard and how the other platforms maybe weren't shutting it down fast enough.
8: Yeah, yeah. So we've looked at at vaccine conspiracy communities uh, in in Ireland and and also in other countries as well. And and what we found is that these spaces are a safe space to to promote wild, you know, wild and 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 illusory uh, conspiracies, claims that have no base in reality, or claims that have been debunked, or or they you know if they're if, if if you shared the same thing on Facebook or Twitter, and look, these platforms have a lot to answer for, but they do have partnerships with with, uh, with organizations who will attach um, a fact check to something that may be potentially misleading or maybe not even a fact check, but just something that clarifies uh, that this is a complicated issue and that there is more to it than just this simple claim that is being made. You don't have that on Telegram. There is no, there is no kind of environment like that. There is no kind of culture to fact check. And what you see on a lot of these, because look, everyone to to a certain degree is is tired of COVID. We all want to, to move on and kind of get back to whatever normal it was. So people kind of go looking for uh, for 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 information, for answers, for someone to try and help them understand what's going on. But in these groups on Telegram where there is a uh, clear intent to try and frame Covid as 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 a, an end of the world kind of thing, and um, you see in these groups that you may go on looking for information about uh, local protests in your area, but that there are also people in these groups who will be sharing um, sharing videos to documentaries about uh, wild conspiracies in the U.S. Or or, or 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 other movements in different countries. So what I'm trying to say there is that. Uh, these groups are really kind of uh, petri dishes for other conspiracies yeah. as well. So you may get lured in by, uh, you know, you might be question, you might have a question, you might be hesitant about the vaccines or something like that, and you go looking for information, and you end up in a Telegram group. But rabbit hole, well, you'll well, go down a rabbit exactly, hole. Exactly, exactly, exactly. What we've seen is that there, these are spaces where. The conspiracies aren't countered misleading claims aren't countered and this stuff just runs wild, it really does
4: okay. OK, thank you Kieron. Kieran O'Connor is an analyst with the Institute for Strategic Dialogue and uh, that report on the rise of Telegram in Ireland, it in itself is just a crazy howling at the moon from mad people, but it gets out into the mainstream and it becomes believed and people start to think oh that's a fact, and they don't trace it back to where it actually started which was a crazy people on Telegram. Thank you, Ciarán, uh, 715 <laughs> John is back. Um, <clears throat> PJ, I'm doing my civic duty by not taking a... Va- oh, Jesus. Do I really have to read this? I'm, not, I'm doing my civic duty by not taking a vaccine that is not fully researched. The people who want to talk about it are in certain medical categories. They can by all means take it but the principle of long-term side effects being studied before a general vaccination campaign is run is well-established. I think there should be more ordinary people who have not been vaccinated interviewed on radio as to why it's not all conspiracy theories. These are long-established, well-founded principles. Simon Coveney spoke one word of sense when he said he thought compulsory vaccination was not on the way. There'll be savage violence on the streets. You can see it in Austria and the Netherlands when you push these things too far. I sincerely hope, John, although to be fair... I know you well enough. But I sincerely... I think I do anyway. I sincerely hope you wouldn't support what we're seeing in the Netherlands over the weekend. I sincerely hope you wouldn't support that. 1850 Sometimes, sometimes. Can we just talk?
3: The Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM. With
0: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Five, four, three,
3: two, one. Text or WhatsApp now on 083 396 96 96 your chance to play our 10K toy giveaway. Take you on a throw, pants Cork's 96FM. Access all
7: areas
0: on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife
7: on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Cork Orchid Theatre Company presents the premiere of Aidan O'Donoghue's new play Hail to the Great Wave. It's a dark, sweet comedy about an ordinary couple trying to have a baby during apocalypse. It runs at the Triscoll from Monday 22nd of November to Saturday, December 1st. Fort. Access All Areas. Rising Irish five-piece Just Mustard sort have of shared the first look of their new anticipated album to be released in 2022. And they return to Cork for a show at Cypress Avenue on Thursday, January 20th. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on side On
0: Cork's 96
4: To be fair, John O'Donovan and I've known John for a very long time. We fundamentally disagree on a lot of things, but I'm not at all remotely surprised when he says, I do not in any way support violence or attacks on police or what's going on in the Netherlands. But that's the logical conclusion of the divisive debate. And I can't understand why they've chosen to go down this route when it will be exploited so readily by those with violence in their minds. John, thanks. Yeah, we did it. You were right. We did it.
3: Feel good. Corks 96 FM's 10K toy giveaway
0: with Douglas Village Shopping Center for toys, food, fashion, and lifestyle. 50 years at the heart of the village.
10: I got a full of cash money, money,
4: money. Took a wander around the Douglas Village Shopping Center over the weekend, looking fabulous at 50. So it is. Looks an awful lot better at 50 than some people I know. <laughs> And we have loads and loads of toy shopping sprees to give away on the 10K Toy Giveaway, which continues all of this week. Let me go to Lena Ahain, line one, and Lisa. Hey, Lisa.
9: Hi, how are you?
4: Good. Now, we had a good week last week. we Two of our daily winners uh, went through and won the toy giveaway at the end of the day. So we need to try and put you through to the draw with Lorraine this evening. And see, can we add you to that list? Could you spend it handy?
9: Without a doubt.
4: Who do you have?
9: I have uh, a five-year-old who's music mad and I have a 15 and 20-year-old who they love the games.
4: Right, I thought you were going to say they were just mad.
9: <laughs> oh, well, well, there's that too. Yeah, there's that too. They get that from me.
4: Lisa, I have a question for you. Uh, it's a Christmas type of a question, of course. So, it's an A or B answer. Santa Claus is also better known as Saint Who. Is it A, Anthony, or B, Nicholas?
9: B, Nicholas. B,
4: Nicholas, it is. hey, hey, hey. Nice one, Lisa. Brilliant.
9: Thanks so much.
4: Now there are no promises with this. Hold on a sec. There are no promises with this. No, I know,
12: I know. This gets you through
4: to talk to or to be on the draw this evening. You can pray to Saint Anthony, not Saint (laughs) Nicholas. Yeah. (laughs) I'll put you back on there if you want for just a sec. Thank you, Lisa, our latest qualifier from the opinion line. To the 10k toy giveaway with Douglas Village Shopping Centre 50 years at the heart of the village Simon has one later Lorraine's got one herself and then the is after six giving away two sprees a day we've joked ourselves about the Covid stone and the Christmas kilos that pile on top of them and we worry about ourselves and we probably shouldn't we should probably just be happy in our own skins even if there is a bit more of that skin than there used to be but hows ever we should be taking a bit of notice of our dogs uh, because they are putting on a bit of weight and it would appear from vets and veterinary nurses and veterinary people that you talk to that our dogs in particular, maybe our cats to a lesser extent but our dogs have been getting fatter and the pandemic hasn't helped Uh, Bill Cashman is a vet with Cashman Old Driscoll Bill, good morning to you Good morning, PJ, How are you? Good. We've been overfeeding our furry friends, haven't we?
14: Well, it's kind of very satisfying, isn't it, to watch them when you flick them a little bit of sausage or a little bit of white of egg, and they wolf it down, and then they look up lovingly at you. That's
4: right.
14: And with people work with people working from home, I suppose there's been a bit of a tendency to do that. Mm. There is um, manipulators.
5: Funn-
14: well, they are very good at it. I mean. They live through all the recessions, don't pay the mortgage, and they're the most loved member of the family. Um, but look, I think what you said at the beginning is very telling. We, we shouldn't worry too much about it, but if it's a problem, then you can deal with it. Mm. Um, it's easy and, and, and enough. I think the simplest thing to do is what you don't measure, you can manage. So weigh out the amount of food the dog gets in the day for that dog and lifestyle and age and all of that, and then that's what they get. Yeah. And um, maybe the thing too is to get everyone in the family to buy into it. There's yeah. no point in you being a, a petition And when I visit, um, I give the sweets and the treats. Yeah.
4: There's so, a bad habit. There's a bad habit on a Sunday morning. It's when you know the way you buy the pound of sausages, and mm-hmm. th- there's a sausage left. The, you know you're not yes. going to leave one sausage in the fridge. So you fry it off or you grill it off, and, and you give it to Bruno. Are you doing him more harm than good?
14: Um, if it's not a part of his total daily calorie intake, you probably are doing him damage over the long term. Now, look, it doesn't matter if it happens once a week, but if you take a Jack Russell Terrier and you give him a sausage, well, that's like giving you and me one or two black puddings. Uh, it's just out of... I've full seen puddings like with a, a full Yes, because... Um, every one of us has a metabolic weight. There are so many calories we should take in every day and so much protein and fat with that. And that's where the convenience of dry food, I suppose, in the modern age has meant that you can actually control that very, very diligently. Yes. But if you add in a sausage onto, say, a whole food diet, it's like having a bit of burger along with your steak. You're just putting it a bit out of kilter. And it's correctable. And by the way, some dogs have got leaner during COVID. Yeah. Um, when when we weigh them, you know, at at the annual health check and, and and vaccinations, and when they're coming in, they're usually weighed for something. And you can you can take some nice simple steps to do it. The first one is to weigh out the amount of food, because the Irish are a generous enough crowd. And when you're asked in for a cup of tea, you get a full fry, that type of thing. <laughs> and we we or you know, if somebody pours you a drink at a house, it's way bigger than the actual official measure.
2: Yeah.
14: Uh, it's maybe it goes back to the famine, but we tend to just overdo it a bit and it's as hard to get weight off a dog as it is to get off any of the rest of us and mm-hmm. it takes three to four weeks. You don't want to starve them or you'll set them into evolutionary um, I must eat everything in front of me mode and they get very efficient at absorbing those calories. So the first thing is weigh it out and then divide that amount of food out over the day. Yeah. If you <laughs> want to give treats, put some of those kibble into a treat box and you can give say 10 of them you can give 10 treats a day now and they'll be just as affectionate towards you as if you gave them that sausage
4: I see and the the, the, the dried food the, the kibble for any number of reasons it's it's better than the old wet stuff apart from the fact that it's easier to keep the bowls clean you just, you just wash them out but like should the dog get fed at specific points in time or is it okay to leave the bowl in the corner of the kitchen for the day
14: Um, I think it's probably better practice if you can do it to feed him and take it up and then you don't have any food lying around. It also doesn't attract any of the other four-legged unwanted friends into the house um, because every kind of animal will eat these nuts. And I mean, this dry food, it's a convenience thing for the modern way of living. Mm. Um, You can can actually, if you're diligent and, and you do a little bit of study, you can make up an ordinary diet for a, a dog made up of our own food I mean we don't feed ourselves kibble even though to be convenient because it's just not um, yeah. as varied yeah. uh, you see but it's convenient for people who go out to work in, in the houses it doesn't have people around you don't want to have wet food going off yes. uh, that's as good a reason as any uh, the dog will do quite well if you feed him on you know some chicken, some rice, some potatoes, some carrots some, and you can There's balance a thing the thing I was going
4: to ask you, because my, my wife always talks about a dog they had when she was growing up. Now, you know this fella every leg was a different breed and the tail was something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of them dogs. And Fred lived to be 14 or 15. He was a fine, fine dog. But Ted got a dinner, or Fred rather got a dinner, as in whatever was not in the pot, eaten out of the dinner pot, was made up into food for him and that's all he got. Is that Okay. It is. I mean, if it's
14: not going to kill us, it won't kill the dog. I mean, the the biggest problem, the human and the first world has, is that we overeat our food, which is why our conversation is now turning to our pets as well. And this is a a worldwide problem that uh, we're all getting heavier, and so are our pets, because the new norm is bigger than what the old norm was. Um, And yes, you can keep a diet. We had dogs ourselves growing up long ago, and they got what came off the table. Um, I mean, I'm sure my parents would be astounded at the fact that you'd buy special food for a dog. But it's this is what we have come to, and it is working mm. for the modern society, and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, but like, as I say, it's what a person is to do about a dog that's overweight. The first thing is don't panic. Don't beat yourself up over it yeah. and take some simple steps. Measure, you can buy bowls that make it more difficult for the dog to wolf down the food, and they have to work at it a bit. And that's the same as us eating more slowly. If you want, your veterinary clinic will probably have one of the nurses, um, uh, or should I put it, delegated to do uh, weight reduction clinics, and you can go down and get an operation transformation thing, and you will have targets and uh, and that. And that. that's very useful because it's all part of their training. Um, you know, you, there are loads of little things you can do. Yeah. But the first thing is, Measure the amount of calories the dog is to get to give those over the day, and whether you feed once a day or a big meal and a little meal or three times a day, that's down to the household. The dog will survive. Yes, but all our dog owners are doing, they're very adaptable that way.
4: And exercise, a run around. Oh,
14: oh sorry, yes, sorry, I, yes, yes, I should have said that. We, we, we all have to get up off our uh and get out and do a bit of walking and. Um, and do it, you know, briskly, not to be laudy dawdling, And, um, you, you, you know, and, and measure that as well. And indeed, that'll work for ourselves as well as it work for the dog.
4: I see, I see. I like that comparison that you make, though, there. You giving a dog a sausage is equivalent to you eating two full black puddings. Like, that's... Uh, I think well, we-
14: yeah. well, no, that's, that's not exactly scientific, it's, but it's the way that I try and make the point that... You. I mean, if, if you have a Chihuahua or a Jack Russell or a, a Yorkshire Terrier, his tummy is tiny compared to us and his calorific needs are tiny. So is it a thing, scale. Bill,
4: that a dog can sometimes be too overweight for surgery when they may need surgery?
14: Uh, yes, it, it can happen. Um also, I mean, I, I like—I don't want to contradict myself, what I said in the beginning, and not to worry about overweight, but overweight long term is a problem because fat is quite an inflammatory molecule. It, it, it makes them more, you know, a tendency greater to arthritis or some of the cancers and things like that. But again, if we want to get people to kind of just look at the problem and fix the problem, we don't want to be frightening people. Your dog isn't going to get all these things just because they're a bit overweight
8: yes
6: this okay.
14: would be what we would call chronic obesity you yeah, know so you, we, we you, like you know, know a serious that, side it. to it yeah. lastly well, and briefly would, and i mean
4: yeah. that's not a thing to worry people about no. briefly bill what is the story with dogs or cats i suppose but dogs and covid can they get it can they pass it what is the, the story The
14: the long answer to that is the research is all showing that Cats and dogs have absolutely no role whatsoever in transmitting COVID to people. Having said that, there have been enough studies done to show that mink are probably the most susceptible and they're the one animal that has uh, can uh, transmit it back. Cats are next most and then dogs in that they can get things that look like the disease, but they don't spread it back to people. Um, the most famous one of these was in New York Zoo where some of the big cats got quite sick with it and and they got over it. Um, but in terms of transmission back and forth to people worldwide, they don't play any role in that at all. Now, one of the big companies, uh, Pfizer, I think, has made some of its vaccines available on a research basis to the Americans to, and they're carrying out work on that. Okay. But um, they can get sick equally If you think your cat has, or in particular, would have um, signs of it, there are an awful lot of other diseases that show the same signs. You know, you've got cat flu, upper respiratory viruses, and the advice to us is rule those out first before you think about uh, that this animal has COVID. And, of course, the HSE advice is if there's a COVID member in the house, then don't let that member bring the cat or dog down to the veterinary clinic and make them aware of it such that it can be handled at a distance. Okay. Because right. Our veterinary practices have been able to hold the
4: fort veterinary-wise through the pandemic, and I think we'd like to keep it going. Great work being done all round by the veterinary practices, I think, Bill. Thank you very much. That's Bill Cashman from Cashman O'Driscoll. 1850
12: Can we
3: just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With
0: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. Cmig.ie.
3: The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk?
0: Call
3: 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 83 396 96 96.
0: Email opinion at 96 fmie
4: The opinion line with PJ
3: Coogan
0: on Corks 96FM.
4: Alright, not a lot to do in our third and final hour this Monday, including our competition with the Everyman Panto 2021 Aladdin. Opening on the 8th of December Very special competition running all this week On the Opinion Line Giving you not just tickets For the show, but dinner As well for yourself and the family That is coming up this hour And plenty more besides But I want to mention We got an awful shock here on Friday uh, Because you'll remember a few weeks ago I spoke on the programme Quite a lengthy interview With John Paul Ricken Uh, whose wife Susan they're both in Cork wife Susan had been diagnosed with terminal cancer It's only in her 30s two very small children and they were at that point waiting to see what kind of a chemo plan that she would have and where they were headed with this treatment for a cancer that her doctor had told her look this will kill you but they were going to try to prolong it obviously and make the most of the time she had left and there was a major GoFundMe started by their friend Granya to raise money for the treatment and to raise money for the support the family was going to need and her mum and dad flew out and the day we spoke, myself and John Paul, her mum and dad were arriving in Australia that day and would go into quarantine and then would come out of quarantine and be able to meet her and be with her and all that. I have to tell you that we received the news on Friday into Saturday morning, that Susan Ricken has passed away. It was so quick. I was only talking to John Paul a couple of weeks ago. It was so quick. In the end, she was too sick to start chemo, and she went to a hospice, and she passed away at the weekend. It's such so so sad, and sometimes life just sucks. It's so so unfair, so so horrible for her poor little children and for her her wonderful husband. John Paul, my thoughts were with them all weekend, all weekend long. And I wanted to do this uh, this morning briefly. You'll remember when I was talking to John Paul a couple of weeks ago, I asked him how they were feeling about what the future might hold.
5: Susan, like to be honest with you, you know, Susan has been helping me a lot. Really? Would you believe it or not? She's, as I said, her positivity and her... um, and her strength has just got has got me going every day, like you know. Yeah,
4: are you are you frightened for the time ahead, John Paul?
5: Um, you know, like I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I'd be lying if, I, if, I, if she said she wasn't. But look, but look, I'm trying to stay as positive as I can for myself and Susan and the children boy just like I said to her look whatever they say whatever they say look we'll take it and uh, we'll just go with the flow and I just my main my main objective is just to get her home now get her comfortable and um, give her give her her the good more good days and bad days I suppose and just make sure she's happy and
4: you sound like you're a rock solid couple
5: to be honest as I said like we've well, with each other 15 years now. I said we got we're married, we've been married six years now in January. Um, there's not a bother, like as I said, she's she, she's looked after me for 15 years, so I suppose this is payback in a way. But, um, <laughs> like anyone else in any other relationship or any other couple, we've we've had our ups and downs and we've had our hardships and all that. But, as I said, when we've always said to each other, once we stick together, the two of us, like we we'd be grand like we can we can take anything on ourselves like you
4: know okay I just wanted to play that just to remember the conversation that I had with a lovely lovely guy just a gent John Paul Rick, and unfortunately I have to tell you the sad news that Susan passed away at the weekend unexpectedly soon to be fair that GoFundMe raised 101,000 Australian dollars in around 64,000 euros so hopefully that money will support the family in in their time of most need. 1850-715-996. Sinead, do you mind if I just take a quick break before we chat, just to clear it? Yeah, no problem. Okay, thanks very much.
3: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
0: With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
11: Hi. Morning. Oh, my gosh. Uh, What's wrong, Joanne? What's wrong? She's a bit shaky. Shaking. And I said, I tried to roll the cigarette,
3: and I'm
12: shaking so much.
3: How many times has pop singer Madonna been married? Uh, Sean
0: Penn and the other
3: lads, two. She was married to Sean Penn and Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Which means she was married twice, and you've just won 2,000
6: Oh, my God, you
3: can roll a five with a 50 or not no? That is absolutely <laughs> incredible. Another winner. There you go, no, go, no, go. No. With two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day.
0: With phones, your Irish SIM-free specialist for 12 years. Any SIM, any network, any country. Phones.ie.
3: Casey and Ross in the morning. Courts, 96 FM. We're
4: coming to the time of year when we're coming in towards Christmas and people will start you know, just dropping hints on their social media and dropping hints around their friends and family that, you know what, I'm going to take it handy now. Maybe lose a couple of pounds heading into Christmas or maybe after Christmas, you get all these new resolutions. I'm going to get fit and I'm going to lose weight and all this kind of thing. There's a group called Intuitive Eating Ireland on Instagram and they want us to stop talking like this because it's not positive. Sinead Crowley, good morning to you. Good morning. That's that's a fair summary, isn't it? We you want us to stop talking these things. We talk about them casually, we mean no harm by them, but we can be doing harm quietly.
15: Yeah, unfortunately, absolutely, you're right. You know, I think that I'd done a post a couple of days ago and really it was to try and reach as many influencers around Ireland that have such a large audience trying to really just get the message out there that, you know, as we head into Christmas and into the new year, you know, when people with large uh, audiences share details of what diet they're planning on following or the fact that they want to lose some weight. And I mean, don't get me wrong, everybody's entitled to follow a diet if they want. And, and to if weight loss is an individual's goal, that's their own prerogative you know but i think when they've such a large audience that message can be t- be potentially very harmful particularly for our young generation you know especially if that person is already maybe in a in a thin or slim body and then they're talking about their body not being good enough that it needs to be smaller and then that message getting out there like what are people that maybe are bigger bodies what are th- how are they going to feel about themselves and their diet mm.
4: isn't part of a healthy you know regime in your life though to be to, to, to mind your weight and be able if you can mind your weight and look after your weight and it's a normal thing to talk about or is it?
15: Well, I think it's normalized. That's the problem. We've become desensitized around this, that we just talk, you know, uh, like you said, to your friends, your family, your colleagues about needing to lose weight or being on a diet. But actually, weight and health are two very, very separate things. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, your weight can a- 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 impact your health, but it doesn't equal your health. And I think that we've kind of missed, we, mu- we misunderstand that in society, that actually, uh, in order to be healthy, you have to live in a small body. That's not accurate. The research is quite clear on that. We we can engage in health promoting behaviors, mm. which is things like, you know, adding as in as much nutrient dense food as possible, finding movement that you enjoy, you know, sleep hygiene, stress management. All of these things are health promoting behaviors. But unfortunately, most people's focus is on weight loss and being as small as possible, and that that might equal health. But that's not necessarily the case. And as mm. we see, the reason I actually posted that this week was because of the a fantastic documentary, Unspoken, that yes, was on. RTE earlier in the week mm-hmm. um three men talking about their eating disorders and we are seeing a significant rise in eating disorders from 2019 to to this year it's increased 38% in inpatient admissions mm-hmm. like all acro- you know under 18 inpatient admissions across Ireland uh, 18% of those admissions are related to an eating disorder so um, when so when we think about health we 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 can't say that pursuing weight loss is going to result in health we don't know that dieting is not safe and effective for most majority of us long term
4: something that's happening a bit at the moment i guess is because of the pandemic there are many of those who be friends or you know colleagues or relatives and we haven't seen them for a very long time and when we do again it's kind of a part normal part of conversation crikey you look well you lost a bit of weight you want us to stop doing that
15: well, it's not a compliment. When you really think about it and you break it down, you know, when you tell somebody, wow, you look great, you've lost weight, what happened that individual when very likely they will regain that weight if it's if it's lost due to to a dieting um you know it it, we know that the research shows within two to five years 95 percent of people will have regained that weight so you know think of think of that all the times you've been complimented on weight loss and then what happens a year later when you've that weight regained how do you feel about yourself at that moment so actually it's not a compliment to we, we it's just become so normal to even think it's appropriate to comment on anybody's body we shouldn't compliment we couldn't we shouldn't com- comment on anybody's body whether they've gained weight or lost weight it's
4: inappropriate right so it's all well, is it also inappropriate to say to a friend in you know, other way they'll say to your, your your friends will tell you what you want to hear your real friends will tell you what you need to hear if you feel for example that someone doesn't look well that they look overweight and you'd be worried about their heart or worried about diabetes or anything like that you shouldn't say that to them either well,
15: how, how would that how would that impact their health in a positive way? Because that's going to be shaming that individual for their body and for you know maybe the food that they're eating, etc. That's not going to result in positive mm. behaviour change. You know, is
4: it if, is it shaming them to say, look, I care about you. Maybe you want to look at losing a bit of weight.
15: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, because if you really care about their health, you wouldn't focus on their weight. You might say, you know, how are you feeling? Is there anything I can help you with? Would you like to, work? should we go for a walk? You know, there are loads of things we can say to somebody about their health without focusing on their body and their body size. I
4: got you, I got you. It's, look, it's food for thought. I think it's, it's a conversation that people have been trying to have for a long time and some of the statistics indeed on your Instagram, I must, I found... Quite um, quite sobering, to say the least.
15: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think, bla- can I focus for, certain... for
4: a minute on, on the type 2 diabetes thing, though? I think you're uncomfortable with the way that's discussed. So,
15: sorry, I didn't hear the, there. The, what the type you
4: 2 diabetes. You're, you're, you're uncomfortable with the way that's discussed, are you?
15: I'm uncomfortable with the way it's discussed.
4: Yes, as in well, you're think... running the risk of, 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 of diabetes if you're over a certain weight.
15: Well, I think when we look at again coming back to um, what the research shows in terms of how people in bigger bodies are actually treated, we know that the the research doesn't, you know, confound for things like weight cycling, the impact of losing weight and and, and regaining that weight, and and the impact of weight stigma on an individual's health. So actually, there's many flaws in the obesity research that we need to be looking at. Mm-hmm. And again, we can always look at uh, improving our, our our nutrition. That's not, I'm not certainly not against nutrition education. We can yeah. we can incorporate that from a neutral point of view like how do I improve my nutrition week to week, month to month without like being on a diet and having to restrict certain foods because we know that that doesn't work. I mean it's like anything when you're prohibited from doing anything you'll want it that bit more and that's the way it works. When we kind of put food in the bad camp then that's all you're going to want to eat is that bad food. We put it on a pedestal it's like our children with you know treats. If you tell them that they can't have certain treats they tend to only want that food Um, and that makes perfect sense if you think about the pandemic I mean it was interesting you know when the pandemic came and you know uh, even for me personally just something that's not even related to food and dieting but I remember like we couldn't go to to the cinema for example and I mean I hadn't been to the cinema for two years previous but when I was told I couldn't go I really (laughs) wanted to go And it's very similar when you think about dieting. That's what it does. You know, these certain foods are forbidden and you have to cut out sugar and cut out this and cut out that. And all of a sudden, they're the only foods that you want because that's what you're focused on.
4: I have you. I have you. Listen, Sinead, good to talk to you. An interesting conversation, an interesting angle on a conversation that we all tend to have with each other now and again. We probably shouldn't. Let's call a spade a spade here in 2021. We probably shouldn't. It's it's worth a look. Intuitive Eating Ireland on Instagram. There's quite an amount of, uh, to coin a phrase, food for thought in there. 1850-715-996. Every year in Cork, thousands of you get together with Cork, Simon, and us to raise money to uh, fight homelessness in Cork. And we're doing it again. In 2021, Cork's 96FM in association with Cork Simon asking you to host your Christmas jumper day wherever you feel safest doing so. In the office or at home or online, have a big Zoom with loads of friends and relatives and colleagues. Have a big, big Zoom of you all in your Christmas jumpers and take pictures and post them on social media and all of that. And you can get a fundraising pack to help you with those kind of ideas at CorkSimon.ie and join Cork's 96FM. To help fight homelessness in Cork. 185715996. Let me do this before I go on because we have teamed up this week with the Everyman. Aladdin, the Panto, opens next week. Oh yes, it does. Oh no it does. Oh yes it does. It opens on the eighth of December and runs until the sixteenth of January. And all of this week. On the opinion line, the nice people at the Everyman have given us a family pass for Aladdin on the 9th of December. But that's only the half of it, lads. Because they've also given us dinner that evening. Today that dinner will be at Isaac's. So Isaac's. Dinner, Dinner at Isaac's and then Panto at the Everyman on the 9th of December. And I have two to give away. So two family passes and two dinners. For a very simple question. Text or WhatsApp the answer and your name to 083 396 96 96. What does Aladdin travel on? What does Aladdin travel on? The answer to that and your name to 083 396 96 96. I will pick two winners before the end of the show. Each one. Family pass for Aladdin. And each winner, dinner at Isaac's on the 9th of December. We've got that all this week on the Opinion Line. 1850 715 996. The joy of reading. We've talked about it many, many, many times. The greatest gift you can give a child is a book. And it remains to this day a firm belief of mine ever since I was a kid myself. The greatest gift you can give a child is is a book. On your knee clean, I think it's a clean, is Laureate Nanogue. On you, good morning.
16: Good morning, good morning.
4: Or should I say, dios moriguet?
16: Oh, dios I'll whichever you Whichever suits you. <laughs> dios moriguet, good morning, anything you like.
4: Welcome to the Opinion Land. The joy of reading. It, it, if you give a child a book and teach them the joy of reading, you're setting them up for life, aren't you?
16: Absolutely. Yes. And I think it's a bit like uh, a puppy. Books are not just for Christmas. Books are for life. And reading for pleasure, research has shown that it's more powerful in terms of life achievement than socioeconomic background. And isn't that amazing to think of it that way? And I mean, it's also it's wonderful for your well-being. So, Deliver the Joy of Reading, the booklet that has come from Children's Books Ireland is absolutely amazing because it's just full of brilliant ideas for Mm. books in English, in Irish, for children and young readers of all ages.
4: I was browsing it this morning. There's over 140 books mentioned and reviewed in this.
16: Yes, 144 to be exact, and they cover all ages from 10 to 18 in both English and Irish. And you couldn't go wrong because there's a mix here of established writers and new writers. You have the the well-known names, the PJ Lynch, Siobhan Parkinson, Chris Houghton, Oliver Jeffers, all those names. But you also have newcomers with wonderful books, writers like David McCullough, Eimear O'Neill, Adiba Jagirdar, and... Uh, this guide can be got free in a lot of bookshops mm. and if you are, if you can't access it in a bookshop, just go to the Children's Books Ireland website, childrensbooksireland.ie mm. and you can download it and browse at your leisure.
4: One of the things that and jumps out to me is David McCullough's book. I mean, there's one of our senior political correspondents. He's written a children's book on Irish politics. I can't wait to read that myself. <laughs>
16: I know, I'm dying to read that and I haven't read it yet and I'm dying to read it because I, I, mean, I worked in journalism at one stage and I feel, God, I could learn a lot there, you know. So I think books like that are wonderful. But we have to remember as well that when you buy an Irish children's book in your local bookshop, just think of all the people that you're supporting. The whole arts sex- sector has had it really tough with COVID. So if you buy... An Irish book, I don't necessarily mean just in Irish. I mean, a book, whether it's English or Irish, written by an Irish writer, published by an Irish publisher. Just think, you are furthering the joy of reading Mm -hmm. in a child. You're supporting an Irish writer, illustrator, publisher. You're supporting a bookseller. And if you buy in your local bookshop, that means so much at the moment because it has been really a tough year for everyone in all sectors in the arts. Mm. A lot of bookshops were closed. I know there was a wonderful bookshop near me in Dublin. And what they did right through the pandemic and the lockdown was if you rang them up and ordered a book, somebody delivered the book to your door within an hour.
4: That's right. And it's just amazing. Lovely touch. Lovely touch.
16: You you have your own book in this (laughs) list. Yes, I have, uh, I have two new books out uh, this Christmas, but one of them for young children is Daddy Nanoluk. Mm-hmm. And what it is basically is a very, very simple poem for Christmas. Really, really simple It started out as something, I do a lot of workshops and I don't know if you can hear behind me here, I'm actually parked, I live in Dublin, but I'm parked outside a school, a wonderful school in Kerry at the moment, where I've been doing workshops for the past um, Friday and again today and tomorrow. And uh, um, I wrote a poem, a little simple poem about Daddy and Nulloch for use in workshops and then I expanded it and it grew and grew and it grew legs and arms and a tail and it got bigger and bigger. Yeah. And last year for the Dublin Book Festival, I read it online and then on Snowhead War decided to put it out last year as a colouring book. <laughs> we put it out free online during COVID and uh, the illustrator. Now, the poem is incredibly simple. However little or much Irish someone has, it's accessible. But what has turned this into a work of art is the illustrator, Andrew Whitson of mm-hmm. Untnohed War. He has just taken something incredibly simple and turned it into the most extraordinary work of art. He goes under the name Mr. Ando as an illustrator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's publisher and illustrator. For me, it's just incredible. And yeah. it was a joy to work with him and as I say, he has taken something really simple and turned it into what I believe is now a work of art. Ta- so I see it as more his book than mine.
4: the Ta- narga hauling. I love the name, okay, Daddy, Daddy Nanulg, because I'm not too sure does anywhere in Ireland call Santa Daddy Christmas anymore. It used to no. be. It used to be commonplace. It was a Dublin thing, it I think, but it spread.
16: But it's always been that's like in in Irish, people will call Daddy in Olog, Daddy in Olog, or Santi, S A N T I, Father. Yes, So yes. I mean, Father is acceptable in Irish as well, and uh, I've never liked Father Christmas. I've always thought that comes from abroad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I love Daddy Nan I just absolutely adore it. And the, the daddy Nanulug in Andy Whitson's illustrations, he's a beauty. He's just gorgeous. And uh, you just want to, I, I just want to take him and cuddle him.
4: Yeah. Nev Niklaus is a bit formal as well, isn't it? A bit formal as uh, well,
16: isn't I think it he is, yes. Yeah. Nev Niklaus or San Niklaus. Yeah, a bit, a bit formal. Daddy daddy and all there's something lovely and warm about it and the, the elves in this book I mean one of my own sons who's, who's an adult now he looked at the book when it came out first it's only out a few weeks and he looked at it and said you know he said it reminds me in terms of the colours it reminds me of opening a Christmas box of Quality Street oh lovely in terms of those purples, pinks, reds. And this now is my my son, who's in his 20s, was looking at it. And he just said it took him back to Christmas as a child.
4: Yeah, you, you really draw the kids in with, with good pictures. And the pictures in this book, they're gorgeous.
16: Oh, they're amazing. And that's why I say I give all the credit to Andy Whitson rather than to myself, because he has taken something incredibly simple and he has lifted it into a work of art.
4: Well, you had to You had to write me, the little poem first so take take all that credit. Pleasure to speak with you on the Opinion Line. The full list of Deliver the Joy of Reading you can find and Daddy Nanog is Anya's own book. Anya Ní Laureate Nanog. Goedemáhagut. 1850 715
3: Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Corks 96FM. With
0: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. dot MIG.ie.
4: Yeah, big reaction to our competition with the Everyman uh, today and running all this week. I'll give you the question again in a little while. 1850 Quick reminder to you, Premier League, of course, back at the weekend. Premier League Live on Corks 96FM. Back with Trevor Welsh and the team powered by TalkSport. And uh, the Premier League live online with NOW. Stream live Premier League action with the NOW Sports or Sports Extra Membership. Pure Sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with NOW. And listen Saturday on the Corks 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Also at the weekend, a big, big, big day for Stefan Doyle. Remember I spoke to him a few weeks ago about the Romanian... X Factor, when he had that magnificent audition with Elton John's tiny dancer. He was at it again this weekend. Gave him a, a huge performance, but what happened afterwards just nearly blew his mind and the mind of everybody else watching the programme. 1850 uh, 715 am I going to that, Fiona, or am I going, to... yes, okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there's a bit of a, there's a problem with tan. There's a shortage of fake tan, and now there's a problem with certain products going off the market. Now, I might as well tell you I've never used fake tan in my life, but enough of the people around me have used it to know that there's a problem. Audrey O'Neill, the tanning guru. Audrey, explain the notice on your Facebook page about products going off the shelves. Good morning.
12: Good morning PJ, how are you?
4: Good, what's that? PJ, what's I could
12: change your mind over very fast with a spray tan I can always pop out here and do your spray tan before Christmas Just so you can draw the shine every
4: You see, with me, it's, it's going to be December and cold So a tan never looks right, but anyway
12: <laughs> But when your little when your ankle is peeping out of your pyjama bottom It always looks nice to be brown, like
4: is true, but what's disappearing <laughs> off the market?
12: Basically, there's not a shortage. People are saying there's a shortage for the ingredient that makes your tan, your, your skin go brown, that ingredient in tan, which is called DHA. And it determines the level of tan of which you get. So whether you get a light tan, a dark tan or a medium tan. But it's not a shortage. The EU have legislated, brought in a new law that are legislating the uh, percentages, so the maximum now you can get in a tan from January is a medium. Why? I have no idea. There's no explanation. I've tried to do research on it. I've been on the internet for the last week trying to find out what is the problem with the ingredient. Because basically what the DHA is, is a sugar which re- reacts to the amino acids in your skin and that turns your skin brown. Mm-hmm. Like if you cut an apple... And you see, if you cut an apple and you leave it for a few minutes and it goes brown. Yeah. That, in its ba- most basic sense, is, is what t- fake tanning is. That's what it is. It's, re- it's a reaction. Okay. And it makes the skin turn brown.
4: So you put so this DHA, or to give it its correct name, dihydroxyacetone. Acetone, Yeah. put that on the skin. It reacts with the chemicals in the skin.
12: Yes, the amino acids in your skin, the wow. keratin in your skin is what it reacts with.
4: And is there, a, is there a danger? Is there research showing it's not good for you? What is it?
12: PJ, I have looked and I can't see anything that says it's a dangerous product to use. Um, it's like My biggest concern over all of this is that it's going to draw the younger people onto sunbeds. If they I can't see. get a dark tan on the shelves and I'm trying to kind of persuade younger people get a spray tan, you can go as dark as you want. You know, and, and it's healthy for your skin, which it is. It's a lot healthier than going on a sunbed. So that's my biggest fear. Um, also, there was no um, no consultation with, with the in- industry. The, the SCCS um, went ahead last October, saw that this wasn't regulated, decided to put it through. It seemed to have gone through in, in Ju- July of this year. But there's no reasons as to why they're regulating it. yeah yeah yeah. like there's aluminium in certain products they're saying that it's okay to use aluminium in deodorants up to a 10.6 percentage concentration that's aluminium yeah they're also saying that it's okay to use aluminium the same group I think it's okay to use aluminium in toothpaste yeah. and lipstick. Yes, you can't use a sugar on your skin.
4: Yeah, I don't and get to it. be fair, you've done your research, and, and Fergal has been searching over the weekend, and he can't find anything either. No, trust me, he is the guru of all research, and he can find <laughs> anything about anything, and he can't find there's anything.
12: Nothing. No, no, there's nothing. Like I'm doing this twenty years, PJ, and um, I don't see people having reactions to it. Some people will have skin conditions there are certain tans that I will use for those people. But, like, tanning itself, it, 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 you know, it's a great product. It's keeping people out of the sun. It's keeping people off the sunbeds. You know, so I just, my biggest fear is it, it, it's going to up the usage of sunbeds okay. in, the, in the younger people, you know.
4: Okay, well, if anyone can explain why it would be interesting to find out. Question that's come in, though, can you not just, like, revert to the paint-on type stuff, the
12: but all these things, people don't realize it. Everything. This is going down retail. If you go into pennies, if you go into Samacalli's, in, into boots, it's all off the shelves. The maximum you're going to be able to purchase mm-hmm. within Europe is a 10% product. And people don't realize this. Okay. So a medium is the most. So like there are a lot of tanning businesses out there that base their business on the darker tans. They weren't consulted. No one was consulted. No one was given an option to come up with a different product. Um, you know, there's nothing. It's, it's, it's uh, like even when I uh, when I was told last week, the girl who told me was, I could see by her face she she was blindsided. Everyone is blindsided by this, okay. and there's no explanation out there. So I would be delighted if there was someone out there that could explain it. i I'd, I'd I'd love to know what the okay. reason is.
4: Okay. Well, if if anybody does know, we we've been able to unfind or, uh, to, unable to find a reason, and you've been unable to find a reason. But if anybody does know why there's a, a crackdown, as it were, a clampdown. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks for that, Audrey, the tanning guru, Audrey O'Neill. If there's anyone understands why there's been a clampdown on dihydroxyacetone di- (DHA), which is just a sugar. As Audrey says, and she's using it for years. Why is there a clampdown on the levels of it in all products from 2022? Right, give me the question once more. Text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 with your name and the answer to this question What does Aladdin travel on? Two giveaways every day this week. I'm giving you two family passes for the Panto at the Everyman on Thursday, December 9th. That's Aladdin. And two dinners, two family dinners at Isaac's on that night also. And we have this competition running right throughout the week. Brilliant to have the Everyman on board this week. Uh, so keep them coming. Your name and the answer to that question. Oh, wait, three. three 96, A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Stephen Doyle when he wowed, the audiences in Romanian X Factor with a version of Tiny Dancer by Elton John. And at that stage, he made it into boot camp. And we've kept in touch uh, off-air, myself and Stefan, because I was very interested in following his story, not just because of his music, but because of his backstory, uh, which, of course, is that he was adopted from Romania as a very small baby, and he grew up here. And he was in the boot camp episodes at the weekend. And he did... This... even play the drums himself. On Phil Collins in the air tonight on the Boot Camp episode. Stefan, good morning again, my friend. How are you?
1: Good morning. How are you? How are you? I watched it on Friday
4: night or Saturday and I go, oh my goodness, you've done it again, you beast. (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well done. Thank you very much. We'll talk about where the competition goes from here, but it was what happened afterwards. Had you any idea what was going to happen?
1: No, well, no, not really. I mean, the X Factor experience so far has just been incredible, okay? And, I mean, I was first lucky enough to perform a song that was one of my all-time favorites by Phil Collins and that allowed me to play both the piano and drums at the same time on the stage. Um, And uh, then, you know, I think it was one of my favorite performances so far uh, because it allowed me to show off even more of the musical range and diversity, you know? Mm. But then... What happened was, I was standing on the stage, I had just finished the performance, and this uh, one of the hosts came out on stage, uh, which was irregular because that doesn't happen, you know? You usually stand there and you get judged by the judges. So I was standing on the stage and he comes out, it's all there to see um, anyway on, on online, but he, he walks out and then he says that, uh, not usually <clears throat> on X Factor do we do this. And I was thinking to myself, okay, right. Um, but we have a, a, a surprise for you tonight. And I thought to myself, okay, you know, a surprise. You, you know? can fill hands or
11: something,
1: uh, Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, can you imagine? But um, then he said, um, yeah, so I know that you have been in search for your family, and we are proud. And happy to announce that tonight they are here. Get away! So please welcome on stage your brothers and your sisters. Well, I tell you something. Of all my years of being on stage and performing, the biggest shock was that I I, I was speechless. I was I was stoic. I was immobile. Everything. Stephen, so have,
4: had you it, met them before?
1: The, I know you. Been zooming with ne- them and stuff, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had been talking to them online and whatnot. Although it was it was strenuous because obviously they didn't speak any English and I didn't speak Romanian, so it was it was difficult, you know. And also, I mean, so far away as they are and and were, it was difficult on video call as well, and it was tricky, you know, and it was annoying. So I had never really gotten to to see them, and. Being over in Romania, that uh, you know, filming and doing whatnot with the X Factor, it was always in the back of my mind that Jesus, I'm so close to them. You know, I'm in the same country, yet you know they are quite a distance away. You know, Satu Mare is at the the very, very top north of Romania. It is on the border of Romania and Hungary. And I was in Bucharest in the capital, which was down at the very, very bottom. So it would be like they're up in in Donegal and I'm down in Wexford. So, you know, um, just to give you an idea. So they travelled, the X factor got them to travel the entirety of the country down and uh, then brought them onto the stage. And I tell you, it was... Although it was quite the unconventional way, unorthodox way of meeting them, I must say, um, in one sense. Because, you know, you're meeting your your, your biological family or your par- your not your parents, sorry, your, your brothers and sisters mm. for the first time with cameras on you, with an audience, with judges, with lights, stage. You know, so it is quite, that's daunting enough as it is. But uh, meeting my brothers and sisters on stage for the first time in my life was an experience that I will never fully be able to put into words befitting its impact. You know, I wasn't expecting it to happen. I had planned to eventually visit them and meet them when I got the time. But alas, the X factor got there before me. And to say that it was a shock to the system is an understatement.
4: Well, it uh-huh. was. It, I uh, you put up a, a video on your Facebook of the whole thing, the bit that didn't make television, and the whole thing, and it was just, yeah. it was just incredible to watch. And oh. and you have you have sickeningly good looking siblings, you divil, you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I Jesus, well, I didn't know that. You see, this is my thing. And do you know what even shocked me even further? Right, I'll tell you this. Uh, what shocked me even further was the fact that I'm the t- <laughs> I'm the tallest. I couldn't get over. It because because um, I have all my life been the smallest, you know, in school or with my friends, with Isaac or yeah. Fergal, you know, I have always been the smallest. And then they come on stage and I'm the tallest, and I thought it was a Jesus, this. But- this is brilliant. I'm, t- I'm finally the tallest. But yes, the similarities. I think everybody in the X Factor, plus, you know, the, my friends who were the, you, you know, the, the contestants as well, couldn't get over yeah. the similarity. It was
4: beautiful to watch, Stefan, and it must have been beautiful to, to have it happen. Yeah. Now, yeah. I don't know where the, I, I haven't a word of Romanian, so I haven't a clue what was being said. Mm-hmm. Where do you go from here? I take it you move on to the next stage.
1: Well, because uh, it was, I'll tell you something, it was daunting, okay? Being that that chair selection, the Mm. chairs thing, oh my God, it was, do you know sometimes you would look at the X Factor and you would think, for your listeners there, you might think, ah, it was all put on or it was all set up. I'll tell you now, no. 100% no. Some parts of it are, yeah, okay? Mm. But this part of the chair selection and being voted on or voted off or, that that's not set up that's all there so you know your it was really really difficult and plus i when i got my chair i had to then replace Uh, uh, one of the other contestants whom I was friends with. So it's very difficult to be saying goodbye to that person and taking their place. And you feel great at the same time, but then you feel like crap at the same time because you've gotten rid of, you know. When do we see you again? So I tell you, now that I got the chair, there's only three that got the chair. So it's myself, uh, Nick and Andre. And uh, we got straight into the into the semi-finals. So I'm now into the semi-finals. Oh,
4: you beauty, you beauty! When when do we get to see yeah. that?
1: Uh, I'm not sure when it airs yet, and I'm mm-hmm. not sure when we do it yet. But and you're not allowed um, to tell me
4: anything else. I know that.
1: I'm not, but I'm... No, no,
4: no. <laughs> All right. Stephen, but uh, into I'm gonna, the semi to yeah. Congratulations on everything. And we will follow Thank you so with great much. interest because it's, it's, it's a, apart from apart from the fact that you're a wonderful musician, it's it's a wonderful story. And, and congratulations on moving to another stage of the Romanian X Factor, but on meeting his siblings, Stefan Doyle. Finishes us today. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine.
3: Can we just talk? The
4: Opinion Line on Corks
3: 96FM.
0: With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. cmig.ie. have dot
10: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.